going on, guys? Welcome back to the Live Free Podcast. Today, we have a special episode. We have a guest this time, our second guest ever on the show. Uh, I'm Mike here with JD. And then, JD, do you want to introduce our guest? Yeah, I, it's, it's an honor. So we have uh, Justin Rosenhaus here with us. He is our lending specialist. I mean, this guy really knows his stuff. We're excited to have Justin on. Justin, how are you feeling today? Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, super stoked to be here. Um, feeling good. Excited to kind of, you know, share uh, anything that you guys are looking to hear. And uh, yeah, just uh, honored to be here. And uh, yeah, excited. Yeah, we, we couldn't be more excited to have you. You're, you're the guy behind the curtain that makes all the magic happen. So it'll be good to get into the depths of what really happens in your world, because on our end, it's just we send an email through and then magic somehow goes on. <laughs> so chaotic we'll, magic, we can call it one or the other. It works. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever gets it done. Uh, well, to, to start us off, I want to just hear a little bit about your background. Like how long have you been in the lending space? Yeah, yeah. So basically, um, I've actually been uh, in the lending space in real estate, actually, um, for the last, I should say, since the uh, very beginning of 2020. So um, basically going on almost three years now. Um, so pretty much uh, as far as all that goes, basically just went in full swing, um, pretty much everything that I'm doing now is the same thing that I started doing then just trying to get better and keep on learning everything about the industry. Um, there's obviously so much to it and so many depths and layers. Uh, but yeah, basically for the last almost three years or now. So. Yeah. And when you're, you're working it full time and you're in the trenches of what it is that you do, you clearly get pretty good at it pretty quickly. Uh, and that's, that's what we're looking to tap into today. Yeah. So okay. How did you, how did you get into the, the space originally? Like what made you go into uh, being a loan processor? So I think uh, interestingly enough, like one thing that um, I always, you know, try to focus on, I think is just opportunity. Um, I think that's like a very big blessing in this industry is there's opportunity everywhere you look. Um, and as far as this, this job, this, uh, this industry, just falling into it was just hot luck of opportunity. Um, actually my dad, Scott, who is uh, actually, partners with me as well in the company. Um, we, he, I was in between jobs, um, kind of looking to get into something that wasn't just a, you know, just a regular job, really wanted to dive into an industry and a, um, a career. And basically um, this opportunity came up and it was something that I, just from day one, I said, I'm going to give it my all dive all the way into it and just never really look back. Totally. Yeah. Was, was real estate something you, you started off with first with lending or was there something else you were, were trying to trying to do first? So in real estate, lending was pretty much just the, the first thing that I started with and pretty much still here on that. So um, I would say there, this is pretty much, uh, yeah, this is pretty much where I've started in the real estate. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and, and that gives you such a, a cool background and you get to see all types of deals that we don't necessarily get to see, even though we're pretty busy between being agents and, and getting deals of our own. The stuff you see, the, the chaos behind the curtain, as you called it. Uh, that's, that's where we, we really want to learn a little bit more about. So, I mean, why don't you tell us about one of the, the cooler deals that you've done or, or something that's been a little more chaotic? Oh, an example. Let's see. Uh, there's definitely a lot of them. Uh, uh your, yours, JD was fun. Uh, that was a good one. Um, <laughs> we had well, a I can't here. give you anything too easy. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that one. I mean, that one wasn't, I mean, too crazy, but I mean, just there, there, I guess really at the end of the day, um, even just capping on that one, right. Just, um, it, it's the small things sometimes that make the biggest difference. Um, you know, it could, especially on like the long-term loans. I know things, of course, I'm sure we'll get into as far as kind of just like different, uh, ways of structuring, but I, I think, 
Um, the key to uh, a lot of the things when it comes to getting a deal done is not just identifying a good deal, but being able to know and find the financing for it. Um, and, I, and I think in today's space, especially on the investment side, there's probably more options than ever. Um, but, you know, depending on the terms and the, the length of the loan, primarily, I think, um, is there's definitely a range of flexibility. Um, and the, for instance, uh, JD, like with your loan, um, basically trying to go into a long-term loan where, you know, the leasehold was only a certain amount of time that did not exceed the full length of the loan. We basically had to restructure the whole thing, go to turn it into a, to a bridge loan to where we'd creatively structure it, figure out any of the issues that we were dealing with on the back end to eventually get from A to Z at the end game. So um, I think, I think that that's a good example as far as one that was an unexpected uh, thing that we had to maneuver and craftily get to the finish line. Yeah, and I, I like what you hit there and the fact that sometimes you have to pivot with with how you're going at it to make it happen. Um, you need to get all the information to the table and, and see which route to run. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. And that one was a DSCR one, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, originally, yeah, it was going to be a DSCR long-term loan where the flexibility, just touching on it very briefly, is um, like on the secondary market because it doesn't end with us. Um, like a lot, some lenders will hold their notes. Others will set, you know, sell it to, you know, Wall Street, other buckets of capital. And when it comes to the 30-year loans, it's a lot more regimented. Um, there's a lot less flexibility um, because, of course, less people like to hold those loans. So they look at it almost more from a conventional setting, although we do have different... Um, factors that are allowed to get them approved. Um, yeah, on a fix and flip loan or a bridge loan, um, definitely uh, you can be a lot more creative because those notes can go a lot more places, including just staying in our own, you know, our own balance sheet. So yeah, totally. And that's, that's something I noticed with the 43 unit deal we have going on is the note buyers are such a, a big piece of what's what's happening behind the scenes. Uh, it's not like I can just call you up and you get to just pull a lever and the money comes out. It, it doesn't end there. There are a lot of people who have to look at it and sign off on it. Uh, because most lenders do end up selling their notes after it goes goes through. So thanks for making these happen, man. No, uh, no honestly, um, oddly, or I guess uh, gratefully at the same time, Red, I love it. Uh, it's something that um, just from day one, once I, once I got a uh, hang of everything and something that, you know, I realized I, I, I enjoy structuring things and making things happen. Um, and, you know, serving the clients as best as pos possible and keeping people happy. Um, you know, that, that was something that I just never looked back on. Um, and yeah, interestingly enough, um, just touching on it very briefly, um, is, you know, when it comes down to like note buying and things, it, it's interesting how the numbers shake out, like the one to four units are much different than five to, uh, 29 units and then 29 units and above. So basically the, the markets gets the higher the units the markets get smaller and smaller and things just get even more chaotic as far as that stuff goes yeah it's it's definitely a gift and a curse right especially with how frequently the lending market changes as well and I, i'm gonna get a little deeper into that with you in a sec but it's not like there's just one blanket product that that works on everything in real estate every different deal is going to need to be approached differently with a different product so that's where you come in with with all the different skill and experience that you have now, with the way that the market's been going, like, give us an update. Like, what, sh what should we be expecting? Is now a better time to try to get into something? Where do you think it's going? I need you to rub your crystal ball and give me your best. 
Oh, man. So I, I think that's a very, uh, you know, um, volatile conversation, right, ironically, because what we're discussing today could be very different a week from now, two weeks from now. But um, the things that we've been seeing um, that I've been hearing are things are getting better now. Um, when we look at it, I think there's really two different ways. You've got conventional, you've got business purpose. Um, and, you know, when it comes down to it, ironically, right, as the feds raise their rates and everything, which I think another raise is supposed to happen this month and then probably, you know, another one here before the end of the year on top of that. Um, all in all, I think that, um, at least in our space, um, we did after the last Fed hike, um, we experienced some things where we did cut back on some certain leverages, you know, rates did go up and things were very volatile. Um, I think in this space as well, when a lot of people started coming into it, when, you know, everything was in its true boom and, and peak, um, you know, they, they were seeing the best interest rates we've ever seen, the highest leverages we've ever seen. And I think there's been a little bit of sticker shock when it comes down to that type of stuff. So um, as of now, though, it does seem like, I guess, to answer it very directly um, and upfront is we've started to see people adjust to it, change their criteria, um, activity come back just up a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, there's a lot that we can go into, um, but as, as not to get carried away on it, but um, things do seem to be getting better, at least interest wise in our space, as well as, you know, leverages and things like that. Yeah, and I, you're definitely right that we we saw a sticker shock on purchase prices, but now we're seeing a sticker shock on rates. And yeah. there's always a reason to invest and there's always a reason not to invest. A lot of the, a lot of times, just six months ago, people were asking me, is it, is it a good time to buy? The prices are so high. And I was like, well, your rate's low. So you can pick your poison. And it, it seems to be the same story now. People are telling me, well, the rates are so high, I want to wait until later. But the reality is one of the two are, are always going to be high. Um, is that kind of how you see it? Or would you tell people to wait at this time? So, I mean, I think it's all deal dependent, right? Because at the end of the day, um, if there's a really good deal out there and the numbers make sense, then yeah, pay the higher interest rate, go ahead and, you know, just know. But I think now is not the time to get into the skinny deals, the tight deals, because with things sitting on the market longer, interest rates add up. And when the interest rates add up, your margins get thinner and thinner. Um, and I think it's I think it's totally different on perspective. Like if you've got an experienced investor, now we're all here to make money at the end of the day um, and make money on deals. But sometimes experience and gaining those experiences are worth more for the newer investors than it is for you know the experienced ones. Where um, you know maybe hey you didn't make as much on this deal, but you went through this, you went through this, and then you got that experience. Um, but of course you never want to lose on a deal. Um, and you still want to be able to make it worth your time and worth your while. Um, but I do think that it's kind of dependent on where the investor is in their journey. Um, and that, yeah, as long as they're making money in their return, I, I personally view it as a return on time more than a return on investment. Um, that's just how I personally view things. Um, as far as things go, I think both are very important, of course, but, um, I think for the right deal, it is the right time to buy. Anticipate to hold things a little bit longer, um, no matter how good the area is. I mean, it feels like things have been sitting a little bit longer. Um, and just to account for that in your numbers, I think is very crucial. But I mean, if it's a good deal, it makes sense. And there's enough, you know, uh, meat on the bone for it. I would go for it. You heard it here first, folks. If it's a good deal, it's still a good time. And I think what Justin said there is, critical in the sense that you're talking about holding times. And for our viewers, I'd say most people have 10 or less properties. Uh, most of them have invested in kind of turnkey or house hack. And the space that you're coming from and the perspective is definitely more on kind of the fix and flip side, um, as well as just like the burst strategy, which is definitely something people listening in are interested in. And I love how you bring up the, the holding costs there. 
Mike, what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, that's a big perspective. Um, you definitely really have to think about before you're going into a deal, whether wherever the market is, really, um, you kind of just have to plan for wherever the market's going to go. If interest rates continue to rise, um, you know, plan for that. When you're going in to get a property, plan for that rate being maybe a, a percent or a percent and a half higher than what you expected when you were, you know, ready to buy the property. Yeah, that definitely makes sense on the, on the burst side. Uh, and I want to get into all of the different types of lending and, and get, have Justin run us through different types of deal scenarios. But before we get into that, I need to know who's going to win the Super Bowl this year, Justin. One, one of my favorite parts about all our conversations are we can go 20 minutes in on a deal and then another at least five minutes in on what's going on in the NFL. So I'm a little biased here, guys. Biggest Joe Burrow fan, you know. So I'm going to go with the Bengals. We're going to win it this time. Not going to lose. Mixon's going to get the ball. We're going to be good. So, uh, yeah, looking looking forward to that. That's kind of the uh, the hope there. If not, we'll go with the Bills as an honor, honorable mention. But, um, yeah, Bengals. So. Definitely someone from the AFC. I think we can, we can settle on that. <laughs> That's the hope. That's the hope, right? Um, but if there's an NFC team, we'll give it to the Vikings because they, they deserve one after all this time. But uh, Bengals, so... <laughs> Awesome. Well, we'll put uh, we'll put five on it for you. Uh, we'll put the Bengals futures on for five dollars <laughs> for you. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, let's let's get into some different types of deals. So you already seem to be in the mindset of some fix and flips. Uh, give me give me a breakdown just on a single family. Just how does that work? Like I come to you, I have a, a house that I think would be a perfect contender for a fix and flip. What's what goes on next? Yeah. So basically, I mean, all in all, pretty much from our space, what we're looking at is we are truly asset-based lending. So um, we're not looking for bank statements. We're not looking for tax returns or anything like that. Um, primarily, we're really looking at, um, you know, experience on paper. And if they are a newer investor, um, you know, basically, you know, that's not a problem. Uh, but, you know, leverages do change the more experience someone has in investing. Um, and, you know, obviously the better the deal is on paper when it comes down to the appraisal and things like that is what enables us to be able to kind of leverage it and be able able to have less cash to close, which of course is most people's goal um, when it comes to closing on a property. Um, so uh, at, with that being said, our criteria is basically uh, a credit score at least 600 or above, preferably 660. Uh, not being a first time home buyer, um, just from like an owner occupancy standpoint, um, if they didn't have a mortgage history, let's just say, you know, they bought a home, but don't have like a 12 month mortgage history it is a small leverage hit. Um, but we can still do the deal. Um, and then on top of that, basically just an acceptable appraisal, basically saying that the deal is profitable. Of course, based on the appraisal um, and then our internal review of that, uh, leverages or things could fluctuate depending how all of that goes into it, you know, with the scope of work, if it's an ARV deal, things like that. So um, with that being said, there's it's pretty straightforward, uh, those three things. Um, and if that and then the appraisal decides if it's pretty much a good deal. And if so, we, you know, we try to collect as little docs as needed and move it to the finish line. Awesome. So that, that makes a lot of sense. So I guess when it, when you boil it down, it comes, it comes down to the acquisition. So you guys fund the purchase and you also fund the renovation on the fix and flip and the leverage you were talking about is just how much of that it is that you're going to fund. Correct. Yeah. So basically with us is we try to be very leverage or I should, yeah, I would say leverage driven. Um, our big thing is 
Um, truthfully, we want to be able to have as less cash to close as possible so investors can scale more, so they can continue to get more properties, continue to move quicker, and then everybody wins at the end of the day. So um, for any investor we have that's on title for five or more deals via fixer flips or active rentals, typically owned for a year or more, we're able to actually go up to 90% of the purchase price. Um, if it's under that five, we'll go up to 80%. Um, we'll also do the full renovation costs, like you said. And then one thing that's unique about us is we also wrap in all the interest payments into the loan, as long as it fits within our ARV and our loan to cost threshold um, at 75 and 90%. So with that being said, um, basically we get paid when the loan starts and then at the end when you guys pay it off. So it frees up cash for the investor, not only on the front end, but to also not have that bogged down on that monthly payment. It really allows investors to continue looking for other deals or be able to stack that capital to make Maybe even get bigger deals and continue to just grow in their journey. So um, that's one big thing that we focus on, um, just really trying to limit the cash to close um, and help people scale as best as possible. Yeah. And that's where I think the huge advantage in that space is, is you said the leverage can be 10 to 20% and then all of the renovation is, is factored in at 100%, which is super cool. Um, as long as the deal works, of course, yeah. but those, those numbers make it really easy for someone to get, get involved. Now, let me ask you about uh, other scenarios. So what if I had already owned a house and I've had it sitting for a while uh, and then I decide now I want to flip it? So the purchase has already been taken care of. What do you guys do as far as renovation? Yeah, so basically we can do a refi rehab, which is basically they already own the property outright, like you said, and they want to do some renovation loans. Um, with that being said, typically I just get a small synopsis of the deal, why they held on to it, whatever the reason may be. Go always to be safe. I like to get upfront approvals just with our team, just to make sure that, you know, we never have any surprises at the end. I try to get ahead of everything. So at the end of the day, things go seamless. And if there's any issues, you know, if the deal is a little bit hairier, there are some things that we need to work through. I'd rather work through it in the very beginning uh, while we have time opposed to you know in the last 72 hours or something like that so um with that being said um i guess that's for this one particularly um depending on how long it's owned uh let's just say it's owned for longer than six months um basically what we would do at that point is we would leverage the amount of equity on the actual property whatever's necessary to cover the closing costs so let's just say you know not i don't like throwing out random numbers and stuff but let's just say the closing cost is 50 grand we'll leverage even enough equity i've done a deal where a borrower invested two percent equity on their land and we basically was able, were able to go ahead get them some cash back um in that scenario uh to get them to actually front the renovation costs and um cover their closing costs give them a small little advance and finish what they were doing um in this scenario basically we would just use the uh property to cover the closing costs and then go ahead and provide the rehab budget and also wrap in the payments into the loan that's really cool and the the leverage is king here that's what i'm seeing now you said something there that I don't want to go back to, uh, it has to be owned for six months. What happens if it's not owned for six months? Do you have to actually, wait and let it season? So it's actually better. Um, the reason I was trying to uh, make that threshold is because if it's something where an investor, let's just say you have a deal and you need to buy it in cash. Um, and because, you know, we can't, because we do require an appraisal. Let's just say the seller wants to move very quickly. It's a great deal. You go ahead and you buy it in cash. Now, basically what we're able to do within that six month window is actually treat it as a purchase. We call it a delayed purchase. So basically we'll treat it, although it's a refi, we'll treat it as a purchase and provide the exact leverage that we would. So it's like a mirror image of a deal. So if we're going to provide up to 90%, uh, minus all the closing costs and everything, basically we're going to give you that 90% back that in cash that we would normally fund 
minus the closing costs. So whatever your closing costs were going to be, um, say it's 50 grand and you were going to get back 500, we'll give you 450K back as if you, as if you originally did it as a purchase. So that's, that's really yeah. good to know. Um, I'm thinking about getting into that space a little heavier. So it's part of why I'm asking you all these questions and I'm sure some other people listening out there are interested as well. Yeah, totally. Can you tell us a little bit about DSCR loans? Yeah, so uh, I don't like them. No, <laughs> uh, they're definitely more regimented. Um, I personally, I would say, um, as you know, JD, kind of, I would say I specialize in DS, or sorry, fix and flip as well as ground up construction. Um, I like the flexibility of being able to really go outside of the box and structure things in a more unique way. Whereas with DSCR, um, I think you know uh, the the main pretense of the question would be. Um, like what's the actual ideology behind them? Um, you know, instead of for us, we still don't ask even on long-term loans, we don't ask for bank statements, tax returns. We just want to make sure that it cash flows. So, um, basically we just want to make sure that it breaks even. So a 1.00, uh, DSCR that includes, you know, the mortgage payment that includes, you know, the taxes, the insurance, HOA, everything that goes into it. Um, basically we want to make sure at least the property will break even. Um, so most of the time, uh, it is going to go above that mark. Now we can always change things to making them interest only. Um, you know, they are 30 year loans. Um, so we can, with base prepays uh, penalties of five years, but we can always, the good thing about DSCR is there's a lot of give and take. Um, although we do have a box, we can make them interest only. Um, you know, we can buy down the rate. We can um, buy down the prepay penalty. We can fluctuate the uh, the leverage to lower the rate as well. So basically it, I always say on a DSCR loan is, you know, if you go to your lender, just say, hey, this is what I'm looking for. I want either, you know, this rate or, you know, I'm looking to do it just like this and basically give us a toolbox to basically say, this is the best that we can do to best service this property. Um, Cause I always try to structure it as best as possible, but there's just so much into it. Like, um, like the way JD, you look at deals is different than most, the way most people look at deals on the long-term stuff. Right. Um, so it just kind of depends what they're looking for. Um, so it's not a one size fits all though, um, in my opinion. Yeah, it's very interesting. It sounds like you have sort of a lot of options. You kind of just ask what they have and just figure out how you can make it work with with what they give you. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, and with that being said, um, yeah, definitely a lot of options. Um, and although they are more regimented um, and there are a lot more red tape to go through, I call it, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, just depending on where we are in the market now, we are competitive, um, like in our space, the investment space. Now, we're never going to be as cheap as conventional, of course. Um, but, you know, there are certain benefits to us that, you know, aren't necessarily on the conventional side. So. Totally. And what about more like commercial or like syndication type deals? So commercial, um, to be very sincere with you, um, that's something that I don't really specialize too, too much in. Um, now, what I will say to that, and JD will know, um, is commercial deals are very arbitrary because um, they don't have as many buckets that go into. Um, and those buckets are, they're a little bit smaller um, as far as like the amount of people who do those types of deals. Now they're definitely out there, um, but they are a little bit arbitrary. It's, you know, hey, does this lender actually like this type of deal? Um, I think a bridge loan is a lot easier easier to do than a long-term loan when it comes to the long-term financing because um, being able to um, through networks be able to utilize um, to get the acquisition and then focus on the, uh, the long-term after the fact is how a lot of people look at it at the same time um, but yeah I think that 
we've had some we've had some interesting ones um you know where someone wanted to do like a two story with the with the bottom one being a candy shop and the top one being an apartment and uh although i'm sure they're lucrative and they can profit um it is a smaller space um and and it does have its fair share of caveats that um i kind of like to stick at what we know and kind of master our our craft um and that's where it primarily falls in on the bridge fix and flipping ground up stuff but yeah we've definitely entertained a good amount of commercial as well interesting yeah yeah, I mean, bridge loans seem to be the bread and butter. And I am fairly new to bridge loans. But for those of you guys out there, that's where you use the the money for the acquisition and then the renovation. It's usually a very short loan, 12, 18, 24 months. Um, pretty much they're just getting you on your feet so that you can renovate the property and then figure out conventional financing later. Exactly. Yep, 100%. But you guys do do conventional financing. Uh, so we don't do conventional, um, but we do. Um, so we do long term primarily in the uh, DS in the DSCR business purpose area, um, and then so basically the the three buckets that we are able to do through our normal bread and butter would be the flip, the ground up, and then also DSCR. So we have options for conventional, but not just directly through us. So okay, cool, and and that's where at the end when the refi happens, you guys go through the other options. Um, so sometimes, uh, for, it is an option for sure. Uh, a lot of times if they're going to go through the refi, well, we will try our normal, uh, you know, bread and butter kind of where we, you know, actually did the loan. So, um, a lot of people ask me actually like, Hey, if I do the, um, uh, the ape, they call it the AB, right? So like the, the purchase and the renovation, then the refi or the cash out, however they want to do it. Um, and I'm not sure how other lenders work, but like with us, we don't require anyone to do two sets of loans. If they want to do the bridge loan with us, and then they have a better option with the DSCR, um, you know, someone who specializes in that and is able to, um, you know, maybe even get a cheaper rate, right? Um, as far as those things go, we never require anyone to go all the way to it, but we do offer it should they want to. Um, but yeah, definitely on the front end, um, I, I get that question a lot. So it's just something I wanted to kind of, you know, share on that. So totally. What else you got for Justin, Mike? Um, let's talk a little bit about, do you earn any real estate yourself? So interestingly enough, um, I actually just closed on a couple of properties here in the last couple of months, uh, one at the end of July and then one in uh, the middle of August here. So, uh, both of the properties are out in Hawaii where, um, my company, where our company's based, um, and, uh, pretty much just, uh, it happens, it happens fast. Um, and you know, but saw a good deal and just, uh, just kept running with it. So. Uh, that's oh. kind of like that. So, and are those rentals? Uh, no. So they're actually um, fix and flip loans. So with the intent to actually go ahead and flip them. Um, actually in Hawaii. Um, so being that we're not technically able to do short-term rentals, um, long-term right. rentals definitely. Um, they're a little bit more difficult because the higher the higher the deal. The more the mortgage, the more the mortgage, the rent has to really check out, right? So no matter how nice a property is, um, if it's not a multi-unit or something that you can count legally on, a, on an appraisal with two or three units most of the time on a million-dollar deal, um, it, it doesn't always cash flow, um, and it's not always the most lucrative, personally. So It does not surprise me that much that Hawaii is not a cash flow market. Yeah, surprise. But uh, people always ask me why I leave uh, why I leave Hawaii to come back to spend time in Pennsylvania, <laughs> and it, I always tell them it's for the cash flow. <laughs> this is where I can find it. Yeah. Oh. Oh, big time, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can find a beautiful million dollar house in Hawaii, and it rents five grand a month, which is great. Uh, but you could find a house, you know, five times as cheap and still, you know, get two twenty five in this rental market right now. It's definitely uh, a lot of opportunity for that. So. 
Yeah. Was there any sort of reason you picked Hawaii just because you guys kind of specialize there or any, like any specific reason? So to, yeah, I mean, I think the fact that that's where the majority of our deals are done in, um, I was more comfortable with the market. Um, being that I personally live in Florida, Florida, I kind of viewed it as its country in its own. Um, it's got so many popular, so many bubbles of things um, where I kind of want to see the dust set. I am actually interested in starting to look in my own area, um, trying to see different areas. Funny enough, I'm in Sarasota. I read an article maybe last year that said Sarasota is a top 10 worst place to flip because <laughs> everyone's moving here, uh, you know, from the East Coast. You know, it's a big retirement area. So, um, you know, Tampa is a lucrative spot as well, um, but interested to kind of see how all the dust settles. Um, but the reason that I picked Hawaii is um, there are some investors that I've worked with in the past that um, I've grown very close to um, that, you know, have started creating partnerships on that front. Um, and it was something that kind of just really came to fruition. And um, yeah, I was just excited to be able to get the opportunity. Um, so basically, they're the ones that are a little bit more experienced on the boots on the ground, being able to actually go through the full renovation. So just trying to soak in everything from, you know, dealing with the GCs, dealing with the rent, you know, the rehabs and um, just all the intricacies that go into the uh, once a loan closes that I'm not typically used to seeing. Because when I get the deal on the desk, it closes, I always follow up, see how it's going. But there's a lot of things that come in that I'm either not aware of or, you know, find out through the grapevine. So it's it's kind of good to um, get the perspective from an investor now and kind of see like how we can also better serve our clients from my own personal experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's, that's something that Mike and I both do. Like we can better serve our, our agent clients, people, people who are looking to invest uh, because we invest ourselves. It, it helps a lot. We're not just here to sell snake oil. And I think that's that perspective is going to be super cool for you to start bringing into the picture, um, being in the investor seat. Definitely. No. Um, and I, I mean, I'm excited. I'm so grateful um, and feel so blessed to be able to have got those opportunities. And uh, one thing I caution, uh, I don't know if it's just me, but it is definitely something where I, as much as I'm like, okay, you know, let's just see how everything's starting to go. I just want to keep going. You know, when it's full go, it's full go. And uh, I'm just excited for the more opportunities out there. And I think as this market continues to progress um, and as things start to unfold, I think there's going to be a lot of different types of opportunities. Um, and yeah, I think investing is going to continuously be what it is. And hopefully for me, just continue to, to grow into that. So. Yeah, investing is most definitely a snowball, um, and once you get going, it there's no stopping. You can just keep going faster and faster and faster. Um, so, what's sort of your next step? Are you eyeballing anything up next? Any sort of market you're looking at for yourself? Uh, so actually, conventionally, I'm actually in the process of trying to get my own personal home. So that's something that uh, I've been learning that I might kind of uh, touch base with you, JD, as far as learning that side of it. Uh, it's been an adventure, but sticking on the business side. Um, I will say that where I'm really looking is I would love to continue and grow what I'm continuing to do in Hawaii with my team there. And then also really pick up in Florida. Um, actually really trying to, um, my uh, my little sister's starting into real estate as well. And she's kind of picking up and learning and I kind of want to show her the way over here. And uh, so I would say that I'm really looking into the Sarasota Tampa area, um, trying to grow into that and um, just in my backyard, be boots on the ground, which I've learned is very, very important when it comes to a renovation or having someone there that is boots on the ground, um, just for so many different reasons. And um, I kind of missed out at, uh, of actually going through the fun process of the plans and the designs, just doing it all the way across the country. So I kind of want to be in the thick of things next time. So that, that's where the next step is. So Sounds like a lot of fun. You better uh, get on social and update us. Oh, man. <laughs> I'll update you. I don't know if it's there, but I'll keep you updated. So. All right. Sounds like a deal. Sounds like a deal. 
Well, we're actually at the last part of our show here um, where we're going to ask you some of our uh, favorite questions and Mike will start us off. Yeah, so we actually have a little segment called the Live Free 3. It's three questions we ask every guest on our show. You're the second guest, so it'll be the second time we're asking somebody. Um, so the first one here is what is your favorite investing book or podcast and why? Well, you guys might not like this answer because I'll be completely upfront with you guys is I honestly don't really um, actually really listen to too many podcasts um, as far as like reading genuine investor books. Um, and this may sound like a little bit of a corny answer, but I was thinking about it. And um, I really think that just the being in the thick of things and just the experience of talking with other investors um, and just really trying to soak in their perspectives and what they're going through and what they're kind of expressing to me and trying to soak all of that in. So just like real life experience has really been um, what my favorite part of it is um, because there's nothing better than real life applications. So although I would like to um, start kind of growing more into the investing uh, books and reading more and just seeing so many different perspectives. Um, I've really just been focusing um, and trying to soak in that knowledge during my true day to day. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Well, how about you fill us in with maybe your favorite networking event then? Networking event. Um, so let's see. Um, I really think so. One thing that I personally want to start doing more is um, actually going to the conferences, um, being able to. Um, I personally go to a lending conference. Um, so for my own self, I go to a conference called Pitbull, um, which is basically where a lot of the top lenders in the industry go to. Um, so I get to enjoy being able to learn um, and just kind of speak with a lot of people who have been in this industry for 20, 30 years and have really shaped the space that we're in today. So it's always um very, very um, awesome and interesting just to be able to talk to those type of people and continue to grow into that side of it. Um, and something that I always look forward to, I go about, I think the conference is three, to the three or four times a year. Um, I, forget, I think it's every three months or four. So um, basically that's something that I personally love to go to, but I actually want to start going to some of the investing conferences. Um, I know a lot of the ones that my people, of course, that are in Hawaii and on the West Coast, they go to the ones, um, you know, in California, Vegas and things like that. So um I would say just from that standpoint, um, yeah. Uh, and then I, I know, yeah, that, that's pretty much what I would say. Lending conferences for now and trying to get into the, uh, the investing ones. So. Yeah, totally. It's always great to learn from the experts and learn kind of their mistakes. So you don't have to make those yourself. You already know to just not kind of do that. Um, what's your biggest goal this year? My biggest goal. Uh, so I really think um, I just want to just continue. Um, one thing I've always been on, big, big, uh, been big on is continuing to just network, meet great, great connections, meet genuine people, um, and just continue to be the best that I can every single day, um, and just really try to grow into this space. Because um, I think I said in the beginning, like this industry is so big, uh, and you're never going to learn and everything but you know just being able to meet the people who have experienced so much um and have seen you know the good the bad and um also um just you know just like the market cycles um and just everything and being able to kind of anticipate the best you can on what's next um i think from a professional level, just continuing to get better at what I'm doing, um, continuing to, you know, from the lending side, as well as from the investing side, just continuing to soak all of that in. And then personally being able to uh, buy my home conventionally would definitely be uh, my number one goal that I'm hoping for. So, um, but yeah, just continue to do what I'm doing every day and just not slow down. Yeah. Love that. Um, what kind of people are you looking to connect with? So right now, I actually think, um, which, you know, from a lender, I would say, um, typically, ironically, um, I've always wanted to learn more about the lending side of it. So I've always been trying to, you know, uh, meet people in our space and learn from a lender standpoint. Um, 
But now that I'm trying to get into investing, I've actually been trying to insert myself more, you know, into those circles um, and just connect with like-minded people, um, you know, investors who do know the space um, that kind of, you know, have things at their disposal as well that, you know, I could learn from um, because being, you know, behind the curtain, like JD says, there's only so much, although I see so much of it, there's a lot of things that I'm also kind of blinded to um, that I would like to, you know, uh, see more of, learn more of, and just, you know, continue to build connections with people that I can hopefully partner with as well on deals. Cause I'm open to, although Florida is my main spot now that I'm looking to grow in outside of Hawaii. I mean, if with the right infrastructure and the right market, I'm, I'm willing to go pretty much anywhere across the States. So. Wow. Yeah. Looking for partners, looking for, for more lender mentors. I love it. Makes, makes a lot of sense, man. Uh, well, now it's my turn to leave some people with some final words, and I'm going to let you give out a little bit of advice here. So for all of the new investors listening who are trying to get into real estate, what kind of advice for you, do you have for them? So I think the big thing for me, right, because just being able to jump into a property and have the opportunity, um, I was thinking about that a lot. And one thing I've been so grateful for during this, ex uh, this experience and going through the, you know, the unexpected hurdles or just the overall day to day on it is partnering with someone in the very beginning that's experienced, someone that has seen, you know, a project go from A to Z. I think experience is so key. And just being able to bounce off, you know, having someone that you trust in your corner that has, you know, stake in it as well, that you can learn from and really soak it in. Because I know um, as a lot of people jump into this space, um, there's a lot of people who um, have really, you know, dove in and have learned so much in a short period of time. Um, but I think the biggest thing um, that I value is just being around people who have seen it, um, that have been there um, and just continue to, you know, when a problem comes, you know, I'm a believer, no problems, only solutions. So I think the biggest thing is just surrounding yourself around the right people. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Being around the right people is everything in this space. So the next thing I have for you is how can people connect with you? I'm sure a lot of people out here are now eager to do some fix and flips, get some bridge loans under their belt. How do they reach out to you? So basically, um, to be, as, as I was saying, I don't know if you guys picked up on it. Um, I'm not really on social media. Um, I kind of just focus on what I do day to day. I totally understand the importance of it, but just from a mental health standpoint, I personally prefer to stay off of it for the good majority of it. So um, I would say you guys can give me a call, shoot me a text anytime. My phone number is 941 two, two, five, zero, four, one, one. Give me a call. You guys are never bothering me. Um, always more than happy to talk loans at a high level, talk deals and, uh, just meet genuine connections. Um, and then email, um, you guys can just send me a personal email. It's fine. Justin J U S T I N Rosenhaus R O S E N H A U S at gmail.com. Um, you know, shoot me an email anytime. Um, shoot, you know, text call, anything like that. More than happy to, you know, just connect and just make genuine connections and, you know, talk real estate. Awesome. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, the people know where to, to go with the deal talk now. Looking forward to it. Uh, <laughs> to see who's first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm definitely going to be hitting you up soon. Uh, we got a lot of, a lot of business to get done over the, the last quarter here and we appreciate you coming on the show, Justin. It was awesome to, to hear you share everything that you had. Thanks for being oh. here. Yeah. Awesome. No, guys, I'm so, so grateful. Thank you guys so much for, you know, giving me the opportunity. It was definitely a nice surprise. Um, always fun, you know, talking shop and just uh, being able to hang out. Uh, tr truly, truly enjoyed the time. And uh, yeah, thank you guys again. Yeah, for you guys listening, if you, uh, if you got any value out of this, which I'm sure you did, um, feel free to leave us a little rating um, on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you watch, and then go hit up Justin.
Yeah, and don't don't leave the rating for us, guys. Leave it for Justin. He knocked it out of the park on this one. Oh, man, you guys are too kind. But, yeah, thank you guys again. Um, truly look forward to hearing from some of you guys soon. And, uh, yeah, thank you again. Live free. Live free. Stop.